0: Hello and welcome to Speak the Words, a Cosmere podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. This is a podcast where I am walking Mango through the events currently of uh, Warbreaker. Uh, we started with Stormlight, but then we decided to, you know, we we, we jumped into a perpendicularity, took a trip across Shadesmar, and uh, popped out in Nalthus. And there's a little book going on here, and we're getting pretty close to there no longer being a book happening. By my estimations, we have four episodes left, including this one. This is when things will hopefully kind of start to come together, you know, because like mm-hmm. this is a very political book. It's very slow. Lots of pieces that are kind of doing nothing for. And I was talking about this with uh, a friend of mine. This book is not done any favor favors by how we cover it, right? Taking it an hour at a time, once a week, is not the way. To cover a, um, a very slow political thriller like this one. What happened last time? Because quite a bit. Uh, not like a massive amount happened last time because we had to push a little bit of stuff into this week, but still some stuff happened last week.
1: The meeting and then them getting attacked. Did that happen last week or the week
0: before? That's how we started last week.
1: Okay. So uh, Vivena went and met with some... Of the leaders. I ask this every single time. I never remember what their country's called. Uh, Idris. Idris. So she went and met with some, like, the equivalent of the Idrian mob bosses in this other city. And she was trying to, like, get them to help her. She didn't actually want to, like, overthrow the entire government, but just, like, she wanted to give them hope. <laughs> and all these. People laughed at her, basically told her that she was being too idealistic, and then they got attacked by, um, the lifeless city guard. What's his name? The the life- Jules Lifeless. Claude. Came to save the day, and protected the Vena, and so, like, later when they were patching him up, she was very, like- she had mixed feelings about the whole mm-hmm. thing because she felt like he didn't feel like a undead lifeless no like there's nothing in him type of creature
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then she got angry and decided she wanted to learn how to awaken because she had all this power she- and she- it's not like she considers herself pure anymore so she's just gonna use it. Siri. And light song mm-hmm. met with um, Hoid. Yeah, who told stories. The king's dying, and they're like right after they give birth to an heir is indeed correlation, but it's explained away as like, oh, the king gets tired of li- living, so now that he has an heir, he gives up his breath or whatever series like I don't believe that but if that is true then why would I want to give an heir to this guy because I don't want him to just die and she also found out that um, her family is descended from the first returned
0: Uh, and then there was one other thing that happened with Ravenna oh yeah she got kidnapped by Vasher uh huh. That's how we ended last episode. <laughs> uh, also, at one point, it's a minor detail, but um, remember it. Vivenna learned Claude's um, uh, command word or whatever his mm-hmm. lifeless command. It was Howl yeah. of the sun. Mm-hmm. But yes, that is where we left off, and we start this week not with her, but chapter thirty four starts in Light Song's POV. We're back uh, right after what happened with Hoyd. Lightsong is watching Ciri leave his pavilion. He's feeling guilty about the way he'd spoken of the god king's death to her. He wondered if she actually cared for the god king, or if she just feared what would happen to her when he was gone. He turned back to the priest who had moved to the topic of preparing for war. It was even more hostile than it had been previously. His biggest worry was that Nanrova, high priest of Stillmark the Noble, was spearheading the movement for war. He'd been outspoken against war previously. Weaver made her way into the box shortly after and sat beside him. "'How did you get to Nanrova?' he finally asked. "'I didn't,' Blushweaver said. "'I don't know why he changed his mind. I wish he hadn't done it so quickly. It seems suspicious and makes people think I manipulated him. Either way, I'll take the support. You wish for war so much. I, th- I wish for our people to be aware of the threat. And you think I want this to happen? You think I want to send our people to die and to kill? No, I don't think you want to start a war.' Uh, the conversation goes away, she clearly tries to seduce him, drawing attention to her revealing clothing. Uh, I'm not gonna bring up every instance of when she does it, just know that it's happening during the conversation. You're boring today. I'm distracted. We should be happy. The priests have almost all come around. Soon there will be a call for attack made to the main assembly of gods. If they voted for war, gods with lifeless commands like Lightsong would be- would administrate and lead the battle. You've changed the commands on Hope Finder's 10,000? She nodded. They're mine now, as are Mercy Stars. Colors, he thought. Between the two of us, we now control three quarters of the kingdom's armies. What in the name of the iridescent tones am I getting myself into? I am annoyed, however, at Allmother. Because she's prettier than you or because she's smarter than you? Oh, uh, yeah, she gives him like a dirty look and he goes, Just trying to <laughs> boring, my dear. All Mother controls the last group of lifeless. An odd choice, don't you think? I mean, I am a logical choice assuming you don't know me, of course, what since I am supposedly bold. Hopefinder represents justice, a nice mix with soldiers. Even Mercy Star, who represents benevolence, makes a kind of sense for one who controls gov- soldiers. But All Mother, goddess of matrons and families, giving her 10,000 lifeless is enough to even to make even me consider my drunk monkey theory. The one who chooses names and titles of the returned? Exactly. I've actually considered expanding the theory. I am now proposing to believe that God or the universe or time or whatever you think controls all of this is all really just a drunk monkey. She won't give me her lifeless commands. Not surprising. I hardly trust you and I'm your friend. We need those security phrases, Song. Why? We've already got three of the four. We dominate the armies already. We can't afford infighting or divisiveness. If her ten were to br- turn against our thirty, we'd win, but we'd be left badly weakened. He frowned. Surely she wouldn't do that. Surely we'd rather be certain. Lightsong sighed. Very well, then. I'll talk to her. That might not be a good idea. He raised an eyebrow. She doesn't like you very much. Yes, I know, he said. She has remarkably good taste, unlike some other people I know. Lightsong, plants, <laughs> Lightsong glanced at where Siri was looking out at the arena. He wondered if she'd been upset by the talk of war, a war her people couldn't win. He noticed that Blushweaver was also watching the Queen, but with obvious dislike. Lightsong immediately changed the topic. Do you know anything about a tunnel complex beneath the Court of Gods? Blushweaver turned back toward him, shrugging. Sure, some of the palaces have tunnels beneath them, places for storage and the like. Have you ever been down in any of them? Please, why would I go crawling about in storage tunnels? I only know about them because of my high priestess. When she tor- joined my service, she asked me if I wanted mine connected to the main complex of tunnels. I said I didn't. Because you didn't want others to have access to your palace. No, because I didn't want to put up with the racket of all that digging. Can I have some more wine, please? Then we jumped to Siri's point of view. Ciri felt frustrated watching the court and having no say. Their arguments weren't encouraging. Her husband was most likely going to be killed or kill himself, and her homeland was about to be invaded. She also felt quite guilty at enjoying the challenges and problems in the city. Life back home had been so uh, subdued. She overhears the priest talking about an Adrian agent in the city claiming to be the princess, but she dismisses it as her sisters aren't the type to come and work as Adrian agents. She couldn't imagine Vivenna as Susa Bronze, uh, And at this point she's like, ah, thinking, Speaking of Vivenna... She would not have made it as Susabron's bride. Uh, her sister wouldn't have been able to coax Susabron out of his mask. She would have alienated herself from Lifesong. She would have hated the city. Are they talking about a relative of yours? A voice asked. Ciri spins around to see Blushweaver standing behind her. You, well, she doesn't know it's Blushweaver, but she, it's Blushweaver. "'Your Grace?' Siri responded, confused. "'They're discussing the famous hidden princess,' the goddess said with a wave of her hand. "'She'd be a relative of yours if she really does have the royal locks.' Siri glanced back at the, to the, at the priests. "'They must be mistaken. I'm the only princess here. "'The stories of her are quite pervasive.' Siri felt silent. "'My light song has taken a liking to you, princess,' the goddess said, folding her arms. "'He has been very kind to me. "'Might I ask which goddess you are, Your Grace?' "'I am Blushweaver. I am pleased to meet you. No, you aren't.' She leaned in, eyes narrowing. "'I don't like what you're doing here. Excuse me?' Blushweaver raised a finger. "'He's a better man than any of us, princess. Don't you go spoiling him and pulling him into your schemes.' "'I don't know what you mean. You don't fool me with your false naivete. Lightsong is a good person, one of the last ones we have left in this court. If you taint him, I will destroy you. Do you understand?' Siri nodded dumbly, then Blushweaver turned and moved away, muttering, Find someone else's bed to climb into, you little slut. Siri watched her go, shocked. When she finally regained her composure, she blushed furiously, then fled. Yeah, Blushweaver doesn't like Siri.
1: Yikes. Yep. Well, she still thinks that she's, like, behind everything.
0: And he's really an Idrian agent, yeah. Yeah. We cut to Siri back in the palace. She enters the bathing chamber and goes through her routine until she's left floating in the water. "'You wanted to speak with me, my queen?' a voice asked. Ciri started, splashing as she dunked her body beneath the water. "'Blue Fingers! I thought we'd cleared this up on the first day!' He stood at the rim of the tub, fingers blue, typically anxious as he began to pace. "'Oh, please. I have daughters twice your age. You sent word that you wanted to talk to me. Well, this is where I will talk. Away from random ears.' He nodded to two of the serving girls, and they start making a lot of noise. Haven't you gotten over your shyness yet? You've been in Haladrin for months. Won't it seem suspicious to have the serving women making so much noise? They're already considered second class... Sir, I can't do that voice. They're, al- they're already considered second class servants by most in the palace. I'm still going to do the voice, but I'm not going to plug my nose to do it. Siri noticed that they were wearing brown. and They were from Pond Call. "'You sent me a message earlier. "'What did you mean by claiming to have information relating to my plans?' "'What happens when a new god-king takes the throne?' "'He eyed her. "'So you figured that out, then?' "'Figured out what?' "'Of course I have,' she said out loud.' <laughs> He wrung his hands nervously. Of course, of course. Then you can see why I'm so nervous. We worked hard to get me where I am. It ain't e- It isn't easy for a Poncall man to, raise, to rise high in the theocracy of Hallandrin. Once I got into place, I worked so hard to provide work for my people. The serving girls who wash you, they have far better lives than the Poncal who work the dye fields. That will be, all be lost. We don't believe in their gods. Why would we be treated as well as people of their own faith? I still don't see why it has to happen. He waved a nervous hand. Of course it doesn't have to, but tradition is tradition. The Hallandran are very lax in every area but religion. When a new god-king is chosen, his servants are replaced. They won't kill us to send us into the afterlife along with our lord. That horrid custom hasn't been in effect since the days before the Many War. But we will be dismissed. A new god-king represents a fresh start. But I guess my job security is the lesser of our problems. Siri snorted. Don't tell me you're worried about my safety above your own p- place in the palace. Of course not, he said, kneeling down beside the tub, speaking quietly. But the ba- god king's life? Well, that d- worries me. So? I haven't been able to decide yet. Do the god kings give up their lives willingly once they have an heir, or are they coerced into it? I'm not sure. There are stories spoken of by my people regarding the last god king's death. They say that the plague he cured, well he wasn't even in the city when the curing happened. My suspicion is that they somehow coerced him into to give up his breaths to his son and that killed him. He doesn't know. He, didn't, he doesn't realize that Susabron is a mute. How closely have you served the god-king? he shrugged. "'As close as any servant considered unholy. "'I'm not allowed to touch him or speak to him, "'but princess, I've served him all my life. "'He is not my god, but he's something better. "'I think these priests look upon their gods as placeholders. "'It doesn't really matter to them who is holding the station. "'Me, I've served his majesty for my entire life. "'I was hired by the palace as a lad, "'and I remember Susabron's childhood. "'I cleaned his quarters. "'He's not my god, but he is my liege, "'and now these priests are planning to kill him.' "'He turned back to his pacing, wringing his hands.' "'But there's nothing to be done.' "'Yes, there is.' He waved a hand. "'I gave you a warning and you ignored it. "'I know that you've been performing your duties as a wife. "'Perhaps we could find some way of making certain "'that no pregnancy of yours comes to term.' Siri flushed. "'I would never do such a thing. "'Austere forbids it. "'Even to save the life of your- the god-king. "'But, of course, what is he to you? "'Your captor and imprisoner? "'Yes, perhaps my warnings were useless.' I do care, Bluefingers, and I think we can stop this before it gets to the point of worrying about an heir. I've been talking to the God King. Bluefingers froze, looking directly at her. What? I've been talking to him. He's not as heartless as you might think. I don't think this has to end with him dying or your people losing their places in the palace. I see that you've found yourself a position of power. Or at least one that looks powerful, she thought. If things turn out as I want them to, I'll make certain your people are cared for. And my side of the bargain? If things don't turn out as I want them to, I want you to get Susabron and me out of the palace. Silence. Deal. But let us make certain it does not come to that. Is the god-king aware of the danger from his own priests? He is, Ciri lied. In fact, he knew about it before I did. He's the one who told me I needed to contact you. He did? Bluefingers asked, frowning slightly. Yes. Yes, I will be in touch on how to make this turn out well for all of us. And until then, I would appreciate it if you'd let me get back to my bath. Bluefingers nodded slowly, then retreated from the bathing chamber. Siri, however, found it hard to still her nerves. She wasn't certain if she'd handled the exchange well or not. She seemed to have gained something. Now she just had to figure out how to use it. Bringing in uh, old Bluefingers into the fray. He's going to help us out.
1: Hmm. That was a whole lot of, like... Dodging around what they actually want to say and be like, I have this. I need Mm -hmm. you to do this. Mm -hmm. But like, it felt like
0: they missed the point of something. It, it, It feels that she is withholding things from him to keep it a secret. I don't necessarily think he's withholding things from her for the purposes of keeping a secret, but that he assumes she already knows it and it doesn't need to be said out loud. 'Cause she's kind of pretending to know more than she does. I don't think mm-hmm. I, I I don't get the feeling that he thinks he's he's got a leg up on her. You know, like she feels like she's got something he doesn't know. At least that's my my reading of it. Chapter thirty-five Vivenna awoke in a dark room with her hands and legs tied and a gag in her mouth. She could feel somebody with lots of breath in the room. She turned around and saw a figure silhouetted against a starlit sky. Him. Vasher turned to face her and she started to panic. He walked to her, knelt down, and pulled her head up by her hair. "'I'm still deciding whether or not to kill you, Princess. If I were you, I'd avoid doing anything more to antagonize me.' She froze in his grip and he dropped her back to the floor. He lit a lantern and closed the balcony doors. He pulled a large hunting knife and cut the bonds on her hands. He tossed the dagger away and grabbed his large black-hilted sword from his bed. Vavenna scrambled away and he whipped the sword toward her. You will remain quiet. She huddled into a corner, wishing she'd returned to Idris long ago. Vasher stepped forward and undid the clasp on the sword. Vavenna felt nausea strike at her as a thing as a thin wisp of black smoke began to curl up from the blade. Vasher dropped the blade in front of her. Pick it up. Pick up the sword, Princess. She reached for the blade and felt her nausea grow, and her hand begin to twitch. She shied away. Pick it up Vasher bellowed. She let out a cry as she grabbed the weapon. A terrible sickness traveled up her arm and into her stomach. Hello, a voice said in her head. Would you like to kill someone today? She dropped the sword and fell to the floor, retching. When she was done, she huddled against the wall again, too sick to call for help or wipe her face. She watched through teary eyes as Vasher grunted in surprise and picked up the sword, doing the clasp back up. We are in one of the slums. You may scream if you wish, but nobody will think anything of it, except me. I'll be annoyed. I warn you, I'm not known for my ability to keep my temper. He had more breath than her, but she didn't. Fe- she hadn't felt him when he'd kidnapped her. How had he hidden it? And what was that voice? He picked up the gag and moved towards her again. She screamed, trying to scramble away, and he put his foot on her back, forcing her down. He tied her hands, gagged her, and then slung her over his shoulder as he walked out of the room. Colors curse slums. Everyone's too poor to afford cellars. Sl- He sat her down in the doorway of a second, smaller room and tied her hands to the doorknob. Then he knelt down beside her. I have work to do. Work that you have forced me to do. You will not run. If you do, I'll find you and I'll kill you. Understand? She nodded and he grabbed his sword then rushed down the stairs. She heard a door slam and lock, leaving her alone and helpless. An hour later, Vivenna had cried herself dry. She waited for Denth, Tonkfa, or Jules to save her. They were experts, but nobody came. This Vasher was someone that even Dent had feared. He'd killed one of their friends and was at least as skilled as them. It seemed an unlikely coincidence that they all ended up in Tetelier, though. If Vasher was as dangerous as they said, he'd have hit her well. She'd have to escape on her own. She remembered her lessons from childhood. If a person kidnaps you, the tutor had taught, your best time to escape is near the beginning, when you are still strong. They will starve you and beat you so that you soon will be too weak to flee. Do not expect to be rescued, though friends will undoubtedly be working to help you. Never expect to be redeemed for a ransom. Most kidnappings end in death. The best thing you can do for your country is try to escape. If you don't succeed, then perhaps the captor will kill you. That is preferable to what you might have to endure as a captive. Plus, if you die, the kidnappers will no longer have a hostage. Better to die than to be held captive and used against Idris. She'd been told once that if Hallandran tried to use her against Idris, her father may have to order her assassination. Vasher had wanted to frighten her so that she wouldn't try to escape. When he returned, he'd move her to a more secure location. This was her only chance. Never go to a secondary location. Uh, That's for all the John Mulaney fans out there. Um, (laughs) She tried to pull her hands free, but they wouldn't budge. She only succeeded in cutting her hands. Her only chance was to make the ropes untie themselves. Why didn't I let Denth train me with breath sooner? She tried to speak some commands through her gag, but it was useless. She pushed on the gag with her tongue, working at it with her lips and her teeth. Eventually, it dropped loose. If Vasher returned and saw this, he'd never give her another opportunity. Ropes, untie yourself. Nothing happened. Dent had only taught her hold things and protect me. Neither were useful in this situation. He'd said you had to imagine what you wanted in your mind. She tried that. Untie yourselves. Again, nothing happened. Awakening was frustratingly vague for all its rules and restrictions. She focused on her bonds again, picturing them untying. Somehow it felt wrong. She relaxed, letting her unconscious mind do all the work. Like when she changed the color of her hair. Untie, she commanded. The breath flowed from her. It was like blowing bubbles beneath the water, exhaling a piece of herself, but feeling it flow into something else. That something else became part of her, a limb she could only slightly control. It was more of a sense of the rope than an ability to move it. As the breath left her, she could feel the world dull, colors becoming slightly less bold. The wind a little more difficult to hear, the life of the city a little more distant. The ropes around her hands jerked, causing her wrists to burn. Then the ropes unraveled and dropped to the ground. Her arms came free, and she sat, staring at her wrists, shocked. She did it! She untied her ankles, paused briefly to grab the rope, and ran down the stairs. She unlocked the door and rushed out into the night. She tried to put space between herself and Vasher's lair. Her only hope was to get out of the slums into the city proper and back to Dent and the others. I felt wrong missing the breath she'd put into the rope. There was a command to reclaim it, but she didn't know it. Hopefully Dent would be able to help her. It was just beginning to grow light, but it was still dark enough she had trouble telling what direction she was going in. She felt like she was going in circles. She'd stopped as she noticed a statue that Dent had described when telling Parlin how to get from the safe house to the restaurant. She'd been worried that Parlin would get lost. Finally, she felt hope. After a few minutes, she realized the street looked familiar. She turned around and the safe house was across from her. She entered the house quickly. The main room was empty, and she quickly opened the door to the cellar, seeking a place to hide. She found a a lantern beside the stairway and pulled the door closed. Dent had warned her about the steps, and she felt them creak as she walked down them. At the bottom, there was a musty scent. Carcasses of several small game hung on the wall. She rounded the stairs, entering the main room of the cellar. If Dent didn't arrive in a few hours, she'd venture out. She froze, jerking to a halt, lantern swinging in her hand. Its unsteady light shone on a figure sitting before her, head bowed, face shadowed. His arms were tied behind his back and his ankles were bound to the legs of the chair. Parlin, Vivenna asked with shock, rushing to his side. She quickly set down the lantern, then froze. There was blood on the floor. Parlin, she said louder, urgently lifting his head. His eyes stared forward, sightless. His face scratched and bloodied. Her life sense couldn't feel him. His eyes were dead. Vivena's hand began to shake. She stumbled back, horrified. Oh, colors, she found herself mumbling. Colors, colors, colors. A hand fell on her shoulder. She screamed, spinning. A large figure stood in the darkness behind her, half hidden beneath the stairs. "'Hello, princess,' Tonk Foss said. He He smiled. Vivena stumbled back, nearly colliding with Parlin's body. She began to gasp, hand at her chest. Only then did she notice the bodies on the walls. Not game animals.' Which she had mistaken for a pheasant in the dim light of her lantern, now reflected back green. A dead parrot, a monkey hung beside, body sliced and cut. Oh! <laughs> the freshest corpse was that of a large lizard. All had been tortured. Oh, still she mumbled. Tongfa stepped forward, grabbing for her, and she and finally shocked herself into motion. She ducked to the side, escaping his reach. She ran around the large man, scrambling toward the stairs. She came up short as she collided with someone's chest. She looked up, blinking. Do you know what I hate most about being a mercenary, princess? Dent asked quietly, grabbing her arm. Fulfilling the stereotypes. Everyone assumes that they can't trust you. The thing is, they really can't. "'We do what we're paid to,' Tonk Foss said, stepping up behind her. "'It's not exactly the most desirable work,' Denth said, holding her tightly. "'But the money is good. I was hoping we wouldn't have to do this. "'Everything was going so nicely. Why did you run away? What tipped you off?' He pushed her forward with a careful hand, still holding her arm as Jules and Claude moved down the steps behind him. The stairs groaned beneath the weight." You've been lying to me the entire time, she whispered, tears almost unnoticed on her cheeks, heart thumping as she tried to make sense of the world. Why? Kidnapping is hard work, Denth said. Terrible business, Tonkfa added. It's better if your subject never even knows they've been kidnapped. They always kept an eye on me, staying near. Lamex. Didn't do what we needed him to. Poison was too good a death for that one. You should have known, Princess, with as much breath as he held— he couldn't have died from sickness, she realized. Oh, stare. Her mind was numb. She glanced at Parlin. He's dead. Parlin is dead. They killed him. Don't look at him, Denth said, delicately turning her head away from the corpse. That was an accident. Listen to me, princess. You'll be all right. We won't hurt you. Just tell me why you ran away. Parlin insisted not to know where you had gone, though he knew he spoke to you on the stairs right before you vanished. Did you really leave without telling him? Why? What made you suspect us? Did one of your father's agents contact you? I thought we found all of those when they entered the city. She shook her head numbly. This is important, princess. I need to know. Whom did you contact? What did you tell the slumlords about me? He began to squeeze her arm tightly. We wouldn't want to have to break anything, Tong Fah said. You Adrians, you break too easily. "'With what had once seemed lighthearted banter to her "'now seemed terrible and callous. "'Tonkphal loomed in the shadowy lantern lit light to her right. Death was a slimmer form in front of her. "'She remembered his speed, "'the way he'd slain those bodyguards at the restaurant. They "'Remembered the way they'd destroyed Lemmix's house. "'Remembered their flippancy toward death. "'They'd hidden it all behind a veil of humor.' Now that Dent had brought another lantern, she could see a couple of large sacks stuffed underneath the stairs. A foot was hanging out of one of them. The boot bore the crest of the Edrian army on its side. Her father had sent people to recover her. Dent had just found them long before they found her. How many had he killed? Bodies wouldn't keep for long in this basement. Those two corpses must be relatively new, awaiting disposal somewhere else. Why? she asked again, nearly too stunned to speak. You seemed like my friends. We are. I like you, princess. He smiled, a genuine smile, not a dangerous leer like Tonk Fah. If it means anything, I really am sorry. Parlin wasn't supposed to die, that was an accident. But well, the job is a job. We do what we're paid to do. I explained this all to you several times, I'm sure you recall. I never really believed. They never do. Vivenna blinked. Get away quickly, while you still have the strength. She'd escaped once, wasn't that enough? Didn't she deserve some peace? Quickly. She twisted her arm, slapping it against the back of Tonk Fa's cloak. Grab! Dent, however, was too fast. He yanked her back, covered her mouth, then snatched her other hand, holding it tightly. Tonk Faw stood surprised as Vivena's dress bled fl- free of color, turning gray, and some of her breath passed through Dent's fingers and into Tonk Fa's cloak. Yet without a command, that breath couldn't do anything. It had been wasted, and Vivena felt the world around her grow more dull. Denth released her mouth and slapped Tonk Fah on the back of the head. "'Hey!' Tonk Fah said, rubbing his head. "'Pay attention!' Tenth said. Then he glanced at Vivena, holding her arm tightly. Blood seeped between his fingers from her wounded wrist. Denth froze, obviously seeing her bloodied wrists for the first time. The Dark cellar had obscured them. He looked up, meeting her eyes. "'Oh, hell. You didn't run from us, did you?' "'Huh?' Tonk Fah asked. Vivena was numb. "'What happened? Was it him?' She didn't respond. Denth grimaced, then twisted her arm, causing her to yelp. All right, it looks like my hand has been forced. Let's deal with that breath of yours first, and then we can have a chat. Nicely. Like friends. About what has happened to you. Claude stepped up beside Denth, gray eyes staring forward, empty as always. Except, could she see something in them? Was she imagining it? Her emotions were so strained lately that she really couldn't trust her perceptions. Claude seemed to meet her eyes. Now. Denth said, face growing harder. Repeat after me. My life to yours, my breath become yours. Ravenna looked up at him, meeting his eyes. Hell of the sun, she whispered. Denth frowned. What? Attack Denth! Hell of the sun! Aye. Denth began. At the moment, at that moment, Claude's fist hit his face. The blow threw Dent yeah! to the side and into Don- Tong Fah, who cursed and stumbled. Vivenna wrenched free, ducking past Claude, nearly tripping on her dress, and threw her shoulders into the surprised Jules. Jules fell. Vivenna scrambled up the stairs. You let her hear the security phrase? Denth bellowed, sounds of struggle coming from where he was wrestling with Claude. Vivenna, er, uh, Jules gained her feet and followed Vivenna. The woman's foot broke through a step, however. Vivenna stumbled into the room above, then threw the door shut. She reached over, turning the latch. Won't hold them for long," she thought, feeling helpless. They'll keep coming, chasing me, just like Vasher, God of Colors. What am I going to do? She rushed out into the street, now lit by the dawn light, pouring into the city, and ducked down an alleyway. Then she just kept running. This time, trying to pick the smallest, dirtiest, darkest alleyways she could. And that's the end of the chapter. Ah, oh. denton Tonkfa, they've—they've been ki- She's been kidnapped the whole time. Yeah. That is like I I love that so much. That is the creepiest
1: way to reveal that, though.
0: It is. It is. They thought she (sighs) ran. They didn't know Vasher took her until just then. If they had known, they could have kept the whole thing going. Uh huh. They reacted. I love it because way early, way early when you first meet them, they're like she. They're talking about the jobs that mercenaries do, and they say we don't do kidnappings kidnappings are too difficult it'd be easier if you could just make them think they hadn't been kidnapped like they they say uh, the entire uh, thing right at the beginning of the book when you uh, uh, it's really it's really good i <laughs> i made my friend really mad because we did this after we did stormlight and i compared tong fa to lopen from bridge four because they're both very eccentric very weird characters uh-huh. And I was like, they're joking, this nature. They're kind of, they just say weird stuff, reminds me of Lopin. I think he's kind of like the funny Lopin character. And my friend was just like, how fucking dare you? Because he knew what was coming. Oh. It's just, it's really good. But yeah, they have been, they have had her kidnapped all oh. time. Oh. But who did it? Who, who, who told them to? Good question. Chapter 36. Siri, so this is one of the ones we're going to skim uh, through very quickly. So Siri and Susabron—it's—it's it's just them talking the whole chapter. Uh, they start off; they're talking about her worries that he'll grow bored of her and give up his breaths. Siri noting that he's become mo- uh, much more articulate very quickly, and he says that he wouldn't kill himself now, right when he started to learn how to be a full person. Uh, Siri flirts with Susabron a little, then has to explain to him what flirting is. She grows her hair out and changes the color for him, and tries to give him a seductive look, but it's so bad that she just falls over laughing. He asks her what a seductress is, and they talk about his naiveness and inexperience. They flirt, uh, so much. And then the conversation shifts to Vivena. and Susibran says that she sounds very boring, and that Siri is much more interesting. They flirt some more, and Siri says that while she misses her home, if she left, she'd miss Susabron. He hears her stomach grumble and goes to get food from the servants. They bring in a table, and they pile it with lots of different food, and the two begin to eat. He tells her that when he was a kid, the priest used to feed him with a spoon, but he got them to stop eventually. Susa Braun starts to explain what one of the dishes is and Siri just stuffs the whole thing in her mouth. He says that children <laughs> who gorge themselves in stories were thrown off of cliffs. She continues to stuff whole pastries in her mouth so he reaches over and does it himself and she jokes that her corruption of the God King has begun. Siri shifts the subject to exposing what the priests are doing to him, and suggests that they te- try to tell the common people or some of the other gods. Susabron still isn't convinced that they need to, but goes through a handful of options that would all result in them being caught. He is adamant that they should work with the priests, not against them. Susabron, would you consider running away with me, back to Idris? He frowned. perhaps <laughs> he wrote, or, or perhaps, that seems extreme. What if I could prove that the priests are trying to kill you? And what if I could provide a way out, someone to smuggle us from the palace and out of the city? The concept obviously bothered him. If it is the only way, he wrote, then I will go with you. But I do not believe that we will get to that point. I hope you're right, she said. But if you're not, then we're escaping. We'll take our chances back with my family, war or no war. And that's that's that chapter. Chapter 37 Vivena is wandering around the slums aimlessly. She couldn't think straight. Parlin was dead and it was her fault. Death and his team had betrayed her. No, they had never worked for her. Now that she looked back, she could see the signs. How conveniently they'd found her in the restaurant. How they'd used her to get at Lemix's breath. How they'd manipulated her, letting her feel that she was in control. They'd just never been, pl- they'd just been playing along. She'd been a prisoner and never known it. The betrayal felt so much the worse for how she'd come to trust them. Even befriend them. She should have seen the warnings. Tonk Fah's joking brutality, dense explanations that mercenaries had no allegiances. He'd pointed out that jewels would work against her own gods. Compared with that, what was betraying a friend? She stumbled down an alleyway, her hair still bleached white with terror. Seeing Parlin tied to a chair, blood coming from his nose, cheeks sliced open. She would never forget it. Something inside her had broken. She was numb. She reached the end of the alley, finding a dead end, and turned around. A man was sitting on a small stack of boxes near her. He called out to her and told her she's been causing a stir. Woman wandering the slums in a beautiful white dress. If people weren't paranoid from the raids, she'd have been dealt with already. She realizes that he was in the crowd when she visited the slum lords, and he says that she looks down on them just like the Howlandrin. He says he won't turn her in, but that he wants her dress because it will sell for a lot. He threatens to cut her with a knife if she doesn't cooperate, and, he t- and tells her she'll be less uh, noticeable without the dress. She considers using her breath, but was afraid it wouldn't work, so she removes her dress and hands it to him. He searches the pockets and finds no money, throwing aside the rope inside. He asks for after her leggings, and she removes them as well. He tries to take the last of her clothing, but she screams at him to go and rubs mud all over the rest of her clothing to make them worthless. He wavered and then sprinted away, and she curls up on the ground and starts to cry. She lay there for a while. Eventually, it began to rain. She decided she needed to keep moving and found a dirty old shawl in the trash nearby. She wrapped it around herself and tried to change her hair to black, but it refused. She rubbed mud and dirt into it instead to cover the white. She had to do something about the length as well. The shawl turned brighter because of her breath. She felt the loss of the breath uh, of the breath she'd put into the rope and the one she'd wasted on Tonkfa's cape. Then she realized that she couldn't feel Tonkfa or Vasher's breath when they'd snuck up on her. She couldn't feel the breath in the rope either, so she tied it around her ankle and then grabbed her shawl and put the rest of her breath into it. She wouldn't give off an aura. None at all. She almost fell to the ground with the shock of losing it all. Where she had once been able to sense the city around her, now everything became still. It was as if it had been silenced. The entire city became dead. Or maybe it was Vivenna who had become dead. A drab. She stood slowly, shivering in the drizzling rain, and wiped the water from her eyes, then pulled the shawl, breaths and all, close, and shuffled away. And that's the end of that chapter. Venna is forced to become a drab to hide. Which is, like, her becoming a, a drab was kind of her biggest fear the whole time.
1: She went so high and then came down so low.
0: Yep. Chapter 38. "'Lightsong is sat on the edge of his bed, sweating and breathing heavily. "'He dreamt of war again. It had felt so real. "'He'd been a a man on a battlefield with no weapon. "'Soldiers had died around him, friend after friend. war against Idris wouldn't be like that, he thought. "'It would be fought by our lifeless. "'He didn't want to think about the fact that the friends he'd seen during the dream "'hadn't been wearing bright colors. "'He'd been in the eyes of an Idrian soldier.' "'The Edrians are the ones threatening us. "'They're the rebels who broke off, "'maintaining a second throne inside of Halendran borders. "'They need to be quelled. "'They deserve it.' "'What did you see, Your Grace?' Laramir asked again. "'Lightsong closed his eyes. "'There were other images, the recurring ones. "'The glowing red panther, the tempest, "'a young woman's face being absorbed by darkness, eaten alive. "'I saw Blushweaver,' he said, "'speaking only of the very last part of the dreams. "'Her face red and flushed. "'I saw you and you were sleeping.' and I saw the God-King. The God-King? Larimir asked, sounding excited. Lightsong nodded. He was crying. He asks for two dozen urns, one for each god painted after their colors, and lots of pebbles. Lightsong dressed, then went off to once again feed on the soul of a child. Later, Lightsong is throwing pebbles into urns in his courtyard. He's sitting in a chair a few feet away from the urns. He missed, and a servant ran over to pick it up and put it into the urn. Leomir tells him that uh, Blushweaver is approaching. "'What in the name of the iridescent tones are you doing?' Lightsong didn't need to look to know that Blushweaver was standing with hands on hips beside him. He threw another pebble. "'You know, it's always struck me as strange. When we say oaths like that, we use the colors. Why not use our own names? We are allegedly gods.' Most gods don't like their names being used as an oath, Blushweaver said, sitting beside him. Then they are far too pompous for my taste. I personally should find it very flattering to have my name used as an oath. Lightsong the Brave, or by Lightsong the Bold. I suppose that's a bit of a mouthful. Perhaps we should shorten it to a simple Lightsong. I swear, you are getting stranger by the day. No, actually, you, should, you didn't swear in that particular statement, unless you're proposing we should swear using the personal pronoun. You. So your line at this point is, what in the name of you are you doing? She grumbled at him under her breath. I certainly don't deserve that. I've barely gotten started. Something else must be bothering you. Oh, mother. Still won't give you the commands. Refuses to even speak with me now. Ah, if only she knew the refreshing sense of frustration she was missing out on on knowing by refusing your acquaintance. I'm not that frustrating. I've actually been rather charming with her. Then that is your problem, I surmise. We're gods, my dear, and we quickly grow tired of our immortal existences. Surely we seek for extreme ranges in emotion, good or bad, it doesn't matter. In a way, it's the absolute value of emotion that is important, rather than the positive or negative nature of that emotion. Blushweaver paused. So did Lightsong. Lightsong, dear, what in the name of you did that mean? I'm not exactly sure, it just kinda came out. I can visualize what it means in my head, though, with numbers. Are you alright? she asked, sounding genuinely concerned. Images of warfare flashed in his mind, his best friend, a man he didn't know, dying with a sword through his chest. I'm not sure. Things have been rather strange for me lately. Blushweaver tries to get him to sleep with her again, and they flirt for a minute. Now, what are you doing with those silly pebbles? Counting. Counting inanities, that, and counting the number of priests who come through the gates wearing the colors of each god or goddess. Each time a priest of a particular god enters, I toss a pebble into the urn representing that god. I'm baffled. It's easy. You see someone wearing purple, you throw a purple in the urn of the same color. Uh, Yes, dear, but why? To keep track of how many priests of each god enter the court, of course. They've slowed to nearly a trickle. Scoot, would you mind counting? Several uh, servants and scribes emptied the urns and started counting them. My dear Lightsong, I do apologize if I've been ignoring you lately. All Mother has been rudely unresponsive to my suggestions. If my lack of attention has caused your fragile mind to snap... My mind is quite unsnapped, thank you. But then you must be so very bored. Perhaps we can come up with something to entertain you. I'm well entertained. Mercy Star had one of the smallest piles. Lightsong, nearly all of her playful attitude, was gone. I ordered my priests in early today and to set up position here, in front of the gates, before the sun even rose. We've been counting priests for some six hours now. Laramir handed over a list of the gods and the number of priests who had entered wearing their colors. Some of the gods have had over a hundred priests report for service, yet a couple of them have had barely a dozen. Mercy Star is one of those. So? So, I'm going to send my servants to watch and count at Mercy Star's palace, keeping track of the number of priests who were there. I already suspect that I know what they'll find. Mercy doesn't have fewer priests than the rest of us. They're just getting into the court by a different route. Blushweaver looked at him blankly, but then cocked her head. The tunnels? Lightsong nodded. Blushweaver leaned back, sighing. Well, at least you're not insane or bored. You're just obsessed. Something's going on with those tunnels, Blushweaver, and it relates to the servant who is murdered. Lightsong, we have much bigger problems to worry about. I can't believe that you're still bothering with this. Honestly, the kingdom is about to go to war. For the first time, your position in the assembly is important. And you're worrying about how priests are getting into the court? Here, let me prove my point to you. He grabbed a small box and showed it to Blushweaver. A box. What a convincing argument you make. He pulled the top off the box, revealing a lifeless rodent. A lifeless rodent. That's much better. I feel myself being swayed already. The person who broke into Mercy Star's palace used this as a distraction. Do you know anything about breaking lifeless, appa- uh, uh them, lifeless, my dear? She shrugged. I didn't either, not until I required my priest to break this one. Apparently it requires weeks to take control of a lifeless for which you do not have the right security phrases. I'm not even sure how the process goes. Has something to do with breath and torture, apparently. Torture? Lifeless can't feel. Lightsong shrugged. Anyway, my servants broke this one for me. The stronger and more skilled the Awakener who created the lifeless, the more difficult it is to break it. That's why we need to get the commands from Allmother. If something would happen to her, her 10,000 would become useless to us. It would take years to break that many lifeless. The God King and some of Allmother's priestesses have the codes as well. Oh, and you think he's going to just give them over to us, assuming we're even allowed to talk to him? I'm just pointing out that a single assassination wouldn't ruin our entire army. That's not the point. The point is that whomever made this squirrel held quite a, lot, a bit of breath and knew what he was doing. The creature's blood has been replaced with Iker alcohol. The sutures are perfect. The commands controlling the rodent were extremely strong. It's a marvelous piece of biochromatic art. And? And he released it in Mercy Star's palace, creating a distraction so that he could sneak into those tunnels. Someone else followed the intruder and the second person killed a man to keep him from revealing what he'd seen. Whatever is in those tunnels, whatever wherever they lead, it's important enough to waste a breath on. Important enough to kill for. I still can't believe you are even worrying about this. You said you knew about the tunnels. I had Lirimir ask around and others know of them too. They're used for storage beneath the palaces, as said. Different gods have ordered them constructed at various times during the history of the court. But they would also be the perfect place to set up a clandestine operation. The court is outside the jurisdiction of the regular city guards. Each palace is like a little autonomous country. Expand a few of those cellars so that their tunnels connect with others. Dig them out past the walls so that you can come and go secretly. Lightsong, if something that secret were going on, then why would the priests use those tunnels to come into court? Wouldn't they be a little suspicious? I mean, if you noticed it, how hard could it be to discover? Lightsong paused, then flushed slightly. Of course, I got so wrapped up in pretending to be useful that I forgot myself. Thank you so much for reminding me that I'm an idiot. Lightsong, I didn't mean— No, it's quite alright, he said, standing. Why bother? I need to remember who I am. Lightsong. Lightsong, self-hating god. The most useless person ever granted immortality. Just answer one question for me. Blushweaver paused. What question? Why? Why do I hate being a god? Why do I act so frivolous? Why do I undermine my own authority? Why? I always assumed it was because you were amused by the contrast. No, Blushweaver, I was like this from the first day. When I awoke, I refused to believe I was a god, refused to accept my place in this pantheon and this court. I've acted accordingly ever since, and if I might say, I've gotten quite a bit more clever about it as the years have passed, which is beside the point. The thing I must focus on, the important part here, is why. I don't know. I don't either but whoever I was before, he's trying to get out. He keeps whispering for me to dig at this mystery, keeps warning me that I'm no god, keeps prompting me to deal with all this in a frivolous way. I don't know who I was, nobody will tell me, but I'm beginning to have suspicions. I was a person who couldn't simply sit and let something unexplained slide away into the fog of memory. I was a man who hated secrets, and I'm only just beginning to understand how many secrets there are in this court. Blushweaver looked taken aback. Now if you will excuse me, I have some business to attend to. What business? To see all mother? There are some lifeless commands that need to be dealt with. And that's the end of that chapter. Chapter 39. nine. has been living in the slums for a week now. She sold her hair, getting very little for it, and had contemplated selling her breath, but she had no idea how to begin going about that. She sat on the side of a road, trying to figure out why the other beggars were more successful than her. She was worried about drawing too much attention, but the more hungry she got, the less she worried about Dent finding her. She still hardly believed what Dent and the others had done. She had such fond memories of their joking. She couldn't connect that to what she'd seen in the cellar. In fact, sometimes she found herself rising to seek them out. Surely the things she'd seen had been hallucinations. Surely they couldn't be such terrible men. She tried to focus, but couldn't find what to focus on. Parlin was dead. She couldn't go to Denth. She'd be arrested by the city authorities immediately. She couldn't find any of her father's agents without exposing herself to Denth. He'd been so clever at keeping her captive quietly eliminating those who could have taken her to safety. What did her father think? Vivenna lost to him? Every man he sent to retrieve her vanishing mysteriously? Hallandren inching closer and closer to declaring war? She tried going to a soup kitchen, but had seen Tonk Fa leaning in a doorway across the street and had ran. She worried that Dent would also have agents watching the gates, not that there was anywhere she could go. She couldn't save up money, all of it went to food, and she still was losing weight. Her former refusal to wear anything but elegant dresses now seemed ridiculous. She'd resorted to eating rotten garbage and had even managed to hold some down. A guard passed by telling her she couldn't beg there, though nobody ever told her the specifics of where begging was allowed. She'd given up on the morality of stealing, though she wasn't skilled enough to do it herself. She went back into the Adrian slums, where they'd begun, to ex- they'd begun to accept her, though nobody recognized her as the princess. She had decided not to continue begging in the evenings, instead searching for a safe place to hide. Or to sleep. She'd started. Same thing. She'd started to learn who to avoid angering. In her case, that last group included pretty much everyone, including the urchins. They were all above her in the pecking order. She'd learned that the second day. She tried to bring back a coin from selling her hair, intending to save it for a chance at leaving the city. She wasn't certain how the urchins had known that she had a coin, but she'd gotten her first beating that day. Her favorite alleyway turned out to be occupied by a group of men with dark expressions doing something that was obviously illegal. She left quickly going to her second favorite. It was crowded with a gang of urchins, the ones who had beaten her before. She left that one quickly as well. The third alley was empty. This one was beside a building with a bakery. The ovens hadn't yet been stoked for the night's baking, but they would provide some warmth through the walls in the early morning. She lay down, curling up with her back against the bricks, clutching her shawl close. Despite the lack of pillow or blanket, she was asleep in moments. And that is where we're going to leave off tonight. Vivenna is on her own. Siri is bringing in blue fingers to the to the fray. And uh Light Song is just kind of continuing to be Light Song and he's continuing to have flashes of moments where he's like all right I'm going to go be proactive and do stuff. So did you see uh did you see the Denth and Tong thing coming? No. Yeah, I <laughs> I didn't either. At the very so. beginning
1: I was like mm, these guys are sus, but over yeah. time I got used to them.
0: Yep. You, you, they, I think Sanderson does a great job of making you grow to really like them and, like, get used to their banter and joking, which isn't really joking. I, I think they're very well-written characters, and I think they're very interesting characters that we still have more to learn about. Because we don't know why, why they kidnapped Vivenna, who hired them. All will be revealed. Not 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 anytime soon. Uh, we only have three weeks left. Uh, if I were to guess, next week will probably be a kind of slow one. The week after that, we'll have some shit happen. And then obviously, all the shit will happen in the finale.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I I don't exactly remember what's in the next set of chapters because I haven't taken any notes past this point. But I seem to remember the we, we we're gonna spend a little bit of time like building a bit more. Um, it's kind of like the ending of Stormlight. Um, I think it was part three where the climax, like the or no, it was the end of I think it was the end of part three. Yeah, it was the end of part three where the climax kind of started in Shallan's point of view and then we backed up with Dalinar and Kaladin, and Kaladin in part four, and we built back up a little bit more before the true climax. That's kind of what I feel happens here, is is we kind of, we have some really big reveals happen, and then we back off, and we build some more, and then we'll have the fucking Sandra Lanch at the end. Mm-hmm. Alright, that's it for us this week. Why don't you tell people where they can find you?
1: You can find me on Twitch at mango asteroid where we'll be doing the finale
0: yeah or and if you want to like if you want to hit up mango uh if you want like if you want to send a message or something um a discord works i I assume somebody i assume you'll see uh messages if they ping you in the discord um i don't know what my notification settings are right now that's a good place uh you guys can follow me on twitter at sean underscore afk um, I don't have the plug sheet up right now, but I'm about to bring it up. But as I was just saying, we have a Discord server. It's a pretty close, cool place to be starting next season. We're going to do a little book club along with, the, um, along with the book as we're covering Words of Radiance. We'll be reading along in the Discord and talking about it. Um, so the link to join that is in the episode description, and it's also in uh our on our twitter uh twitter account it's the pinned tweet which the twitter at is at speak uh you guys can email us at speak the words asp at gmail.com uh and our cover it was done by at tyler Tylerums on twitter thank you guys so much for listening and as always my life to yours my breath become yours